open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing our series today, uh, The Faith Chronicles, and we're looking at all of these, uh, these characters, these men and women that are in this chapter who teach us what real faith looks like in the real world. Um, some of you are familiar with some of the great illusionists uh, in, uh, in the world, I guess, of entertainment, people like David Copperfield, Penn and Teller, some of these folks, you've seen their stuff. But how many of you have ever heard of the amazing Randy? The amazing Randy. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't jump out, does it? But the fact is, the amazing Randy was actually pretty amazing. And I think the amazing Randy is still alive. Um, I haven't verified that, but uh, he was a pretty incredible dude. The Amazing Randy really came on the scene before David Copperfields and Penn and Teller and some of these uh, folks, uh, Siegfried and Roy and those guys. Uh, the Amazing Randy was on the scene. And uh, here's what's interesting about The Amazing Randy. He was a, a Houdini kind of illusionist or magician. Uh, how many of you know that name at least, the great Houdini? Y'all know that name? A lot of you know that name. Well, The Amazing Randy was actually a lot like him. For example, he one time uh, escaped from a block of ice. Uh, another time he escaped from a straitjacket while he was hanging over Niagara Falls. And uh, then on another occasion, he set the world record for... Um, uh, staying underwater in an airtight coffin for over two hours in a, in a swimming pool in uh, London, England. Um, and then, so he was a pretty significant dude in that field before the other guys that we really know about. But in his latter career, what he did is he spent his time debunking folks that were fakes. You know, they would say, I have uh, uh, ESP. I, I've never had ESP. I have had ESPN for a long time. But uh, at any rate, he debunked these so-called psychics and that sort of thing. He would show their tricks. He would reveal their tricks. And so uh, really uh, uh, has spent the last part of his, his career uh, doing that. But I don't tell you uh, uh, that uh, as much as what I want to tell you is that Penn, uh, Penn and Teller wrote a biography about the amazing Randy, and he revealed something in that biography. And it is, for years, the amazing Randy got up every day. He had a note card in his wallet, and every day he'd pull his wallet out. The first thing of the day, he'd pull out this card, and the card said, today is, for example, if it were today, it would say, today is June the 14th, 2020, and this is the day that I will die. So he would, whatever the date was, he, he would do it. So he would get up the next, so he makes it through today, so he gets up the next day and he takes the card from yesterday, tears it up and writes a new one. Today is June the 21st, I mean June the 15th, uh, 2020, okay? And so he puts that one in his wallet. Today is the day that I will die. Now, can you imagine why he did that? A lot of work and he did it for years. You know why, why he did that? He wanted to preserve his image of being uh, 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 someone with these great powers. And so what he knew was that if he put a new card in there, eventually it would be right. You know, somebody would find it, pull it out, and say, hey, he died. Look at this. Look what he, he said that today was a day that he would die. And so he wanted to preserve this image or this, this heritage, at least for a, a large part of his life. Now, suppose that each of us had a, a sheet of paper like that, and we did the same sort of thing. It, we, we inserted our name, I'm Ray Jones, and on such and such a date, 
Uh, this is the date that I will die. I want to ask you something. What would your heritage be? What would your life? He was working really hard to preserve a false heritage, wasn't he? To pass on a legacy that wasn't actually true. And you and I have to decide what kind of legacy and what kind of heritage we want to leave. Now, seniors today, I want to just remind you of something. That right now is the time to start thinking about your legacy. Right now is the time to think about your heritage. What is it that one day uh, you will leave behind? When I see how much effort that the amazing Randy went uh, through to preserve a lie, it's a little bit convicting to me. And I mean convicting because I have the truth. You and I have the Lord Jesus Christ to make sure that we're not having to create some myth about today or tomorrow, we can live real faith and leave a real and lasting heritage. And, and all we have to do is follow Christ. Billy Graham said that our days are numbered. One of the primary goals in our lives, he writes, should be to prepare for our last day. And then he says the legacy we leave is not just in our possessions, but it is in the quality of our lives. And so we ask this question, Graham says, what preparation should we be making right now? And he says the greatest waste in all of our earth, which cannot be recycled or reclaimed, is our waste of time, the time that God has given us each day. Now, the people in the chapter that we've been looking at, chapter 11, uh, they all have something in common. And that is that they left a legacy of faith. They had a heritage of faith. That's the reason we read about them. That's the reason this chapter is so significant because when we read it, we read about men and women who lived the faith in real life. We sometimes say, well, that was back then. And, you know, listen, it was probably harder to live the faith back then than it is today. And they show us that it can be done. That's why this chapter is there, to show us that we too can leave a legacy of faith, a heritage of faith. And so today, I want us to chronicle Moses' faith and how it shaped his life, and I want us to learn five lessons from that. If you're physically able to do so, I want you to stand with me. Beginning in verse 23, chapter 11, this is what the Scripture says. By faith, and remember we've said that's the reoccurring uh, phrase there, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Father, thank you for this remarkable reminder in this uh, passage that we've read of what uh, faith and faith's heritage looks like. I pray that you'll teach us this morning, Father, how to leave a legacy of faith and how to live faithfully until we finish. Thank you for your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this passage makes something clear, and that is that Moses' life was shaped by faith from beginning all the way to the end. 
It was shaped by faith. Let me show you several things this morning. First of all, I want you to see Moses' parental preservation. I'll tell you what I mean. Verse 23, keep your Bible open. It says that Moses was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw him. They recognized that he was a gift from God. Every parent says that about a child. They're, they're a gift from God. Uh, uh, graduates, when you came into this world, your parents and grandparents, um, they looked at you and said, you're a gift. You're a, you're a gift from God. Every parent. Now, some days they thought maybe this wasn't such a gift. But most of the time they looked at you and they thought, you're a great gift and you're a gift from God. Our daughter's name is Karis. K-A-R-I-S. Now, uh, I, perhaps I've told you before, but her name, I literally translated uh, or transliterated from the Greek alphabet when she was born. Kappa, Alpha, Rho, Eota, Sigma, Charis. And, and you need to understand why I did that. I did that because she is a gift from God. And, um, and we wanted her to know that she is a gift from God, which means God has a purpose for your life. And so we named her that. You are a gift. God has entrusted you to us. We uh, receive you uh, as a gift from Him, meaning we, you belong to us, but first you belong to Him. Every parent has thought that about their child. You are a gift from God. Moses' parents thought that. He, this is a gift from God. He is, he, is, uh, uh, he is unusual. And they weren't afraid of the king's edict. You know what the king's edict was? Is all, uh, all male children have to die. But they hid him, and here's my point I want you to get. It was fate that caused them to do it. Now you say, it wasn't Moses' fate. No, but it was fate of Moses' family. And hang, hang with me here. It was faith of his mom and dad that caused them to preserve his life. Moses' life was shaped by faith from the very beginning. You get that? And here's what I would say to you, parents. Never give up on your kids. Do you know Moses was 40 years old before he recognized that he didn't actually belong to Pharaoh's family? He was 40 years old before he recognized that I belong to the people of God. And it was another 40 years before he recognized what God's plan was. It was another 40 years before he, he recognized in a very personal way who God was to him. 40 years before he recognized that he was, he was one of the people of God. And then 40 more years before he recognized the plan and purpose of God for his life. Never give up on your kids. And parents must never underestimate the influence of their faith on their children. Early in life and late in life. Dr. Ken Hemphill, who pastored First Baptist Church of Norfolk, Virginia, tells a story about on one occasion as a pastor, he was standing out front. People were coming up. It was a Sunday morning. They were coming up. They were dropping uh, people off, you know, and then the, the, the driver would go on. But he happened to notice as he was greeting people, he happened to notice this, this man and his teenage son. And the man had on uh, a golf shirt, and it was very obvious that he was about to head to the golf course, but he's dropping his teenage son off. And his son is complaining. He overhears his son complain. Why, do you, why are you making me go to church? Why do I have to go to church? You're not going to church. Why am I having to go to church? And the father, he overhears the father say back to his son, he says, I'll tell you why. He said, because my father took me to church every Sunday, and you're going to go to church too. And uh, as he was dropping him off to head on to the golf course, the son turned back and said, well, it doesn't look like it did very much good for you, did it? We're approaching Father's Day. Research has established that parents have a significant impact on the faith 
and beliefs and practices of their children. In fact, in one recent study, uh, fathers who frequently attend church, and they, the study said frequently meant three times or more a month. Fathers who frequently attend church, fathers who discuss faith at home, fathers who are committed to their religion and their faith, the study said have sons who follow the same pattern concerning religious faith and behavior. Now, interestingly, it also found out that fathers who did not do those three things had inconsistent patterns of influence over their son's religious responses. You see, the fact is, your faith today has a bearing on, the, on your kids in the future. You say, well, my kid doesn't seem to get it. Just don't give up. Moses was 80 years old before he recognized. You say, is my kid going to be 80? Probably not. But Moses, do you understand the distance? He was brought into the world. His parents, by faith, hid him because they believed God had a great purpose for him. And so, don't hey, listen, you reckon they prayed for him? I bet they prayed for him, didn't they? Some of you graduates, you, uh, listen, be, be reminded of something you've been prayed for. You've been prayed for by your family, by your extended family. This church has prayed for you. As I said, it's so, so rewarding for me. Now, graduates, to know that for many of you, you stood right down here in the front of this auditorium and we prayed a prayer of dedication over you, dedicating, committing you to the purposes of God and his plans for your life. You think Moses' parents prayed over him? You better believe it. You think Moses' parents probably thought at some point in time he'll never get it. He's, he's up there. He's running with the big dogs. He'll never get it. He'll never, he'll never understand what God has for him. He'll never understand. For, I bet they did. So I just say to you, the, the effect of his parents' faith was working on him long before he ever really understood who he was and long before he really understood who God was. Now here's the second thing I want you to see. I want you to notice Moses' personal identification. In verse 24, by faith. Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He found out who he was. He, he found out, he learned who he was, where he'd come from. And this is remarkable to me because Moses refused to be someone that he was not. In the book, uh, the biography of Peter Sellers, it's entitled The Mass Behind the Man. Some of you remember Peter Sellers. He was most famously noted for his role in the Pink Panther movies. And he was a stellar English uh, actor. And, but it is said in his biography that he played so many different character roles over the years that he was often confused from day to day about who he really was. And in the book, it tells a story about uh, a fan who saw him on the streets and, and uh, came up to him and said, Are you Peter Sellers? And his reply was, Not today. And he hurried on. He played so many roles. He was in another role. He did not understand who he was. Moses was in a role, but that role changed when he realized who he was. It's been said that two of the greatest questions of all of humanity are this. Number one, who am I? And number two, why am I here? If you can answer those two questions, uh, the, the, the pros say that's the, it'll have the most profound effect on your life. I want to tell you how to answer those two questions. The answer to those questions is only discovered in your creator, the one who created you. It's only discovered in God because God has created you and he's created you very specifically. Your identity is tied to him. And when you know God, you will discover your identity. And when you discover your identity, you will understand the purpose for which God 
put you on this planet. And then you have to make a faith decision. By faith, you must accept who you are. By faith, you have to accept it. That's why it says this. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of... By faith, he accepted who he was. He accepted the fact that God had created him and God had created him specifically. Have you done that? Have you told God, God, by faith, I accept that you have made me the way you've made me. I accept, God, that you put me here on purpose and with purpose. And God, I accept that you have plans for me that relate to you and I want to know what they are. By faith, by faith by faith and Moses accepted that you see your value your value to the kingdom of God is in being who God created you to be and refusing to be anything else I want to tell all of us in this place not just you graduates I want to tell everybody in this place something very important do not try to be something God did not create you to be be all of who you are all for God all for God You know, God didn't create you to be a clone of your buddy. God didn't create you to be a clone of your neighbor. God didn't create you to be a duplicate of somebody that you work with or or somebody in your family. You may learn great things from them. There may be uh, lessons that they teach you that you apply to your life. But listen, God made you an original. You be who God has created you to be, but, but pursue him pursue him. Don't just say, well, this is the way I am. I'm going to do my own thing. No, 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 no. You say, this is what God is, the way God has created me. I'm going to do his thing. I'm going to do his thing. Then here's the third thing I want you to see, and that is Moses' powerful consideration. Verses 25 and 26 point to that. Look at verse 25. He chose, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered, chose and considered, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Simply put, Moses left it all behind. And note he did so willingly. He wasn't coerced. God will never force you to be his man or his woman. He'll never force you to do that. We miss out if we don't get that. But he won't force you. Moses wasn't coerced to do it. But when he was, uh, when he was uh, uh, confronted with the truth about who he was, and later when he was confronted with the truth about who God really was, then guess what? He made, uh, he made the right choices. But now let me add something else that's a little bit unpopular uh, and it's a kind of the big elephant uh, in the passage here. And that is that Moses gave everything up. It, the fact is, the call of God sometimes will cost you something in this life. I wish I could stand here every week and, and preach a message that a number of preachers uh, are preaching today that say God simply exists to make you a, a success, and everything's good, even when everything isn't good. But if I did that, Uh, Frankly, I would be preaching a message that is not biblical and it will not make sense to you when life gets tough and everything isn't good. And by the way, you exist by God and you exist for God and you exist to make God great. And sometimes there's a price. There's a price. You see, you could skip that. I could skip that and say, that just is, that, that would, I'm, I'm not going to spend any time there because people don't like that when they're told following Christ may cost you something. But Jesus understood it. On several occasions, he made it very clear, crystal clear. In fact, Matthew 10, he says, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
And another occasion when he was approached by someone who said, I want to follow you, Jesus said to him, really? He said, you know, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but he said, I don't have a place to lay my head. You really want to follow me? And there was an occasion where a young, a prosperous man came to him and said, I want to be your disciple. And Jesus said, okay, well, have you, do, you, do you believe the word of God? And he said, I do. And I, in fact, I've kept the law, all of it. And Jesus didn't argue with him. He wasn't as good as he thought he was. But Jesus knew he had an even more difficult challenge in his life. And he said, he said well, he said, okay. He said, uh, here's something that's uh, keeping you from following me, really following me. He said, I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. The Bible says that the man's countenance dropped. Can you imagine? He was, because he said he had great wealth. Man, I'm coming up. I want to follow you, Jesus. I can contribute. Listen, Baptist churches wouldn't have turned this guy down. He had manners. He called Jesus a good teacher. Uh, he had morals. He said, you know, I've kept the law. And he had money. Baptist would have said, Welcome. <laughs> But Jesus didn't. Jesus said there's nothing uh, inherently wrong in those things by themselves. But what Jesus was saying is the thing in you that is keeping you from really surrendering to me is your possessions. Now, you might have gone to Jesus. He might say something else about you. But in this man's life, that's what it was. It was keeping him from fully following Jesus. And so instead of Jesus saying, well, we've got to work something out so you'll feel comfortable coming in uh, as a disciple in the kingdom, Jesus said, here, hey, I just, need to lay, I just need to lay it out for you. And we don't talk too much about the cost these days, do we? We just don't because it's just so unpopular. Think about it, honestly. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but... But the fact is, does anyone in this building get excited when I talk about the cost of following Jesus? I mean, probably we don't say, oh yeah, he talked about the cost of following Jesus and everything that you have to leave behind. Man, I can't wait to get out of this building and leave it all behind. <laughs> and well, suppose I had a two-part sermon series. That would be an anomaly, wouldn't it? But suppose I had a two-part sermon series and the first message was, what it's going to cost you to follow Jesus. And we advertise it, you know, we put it on the billboards out in the community. We did it on all our social media and our website. We, I sent cards to you. Say, I want you to come uh, hear this message. What will it cost you to follow Jesus? How much it will cost you to follow Jesus? What sacrifices you're going to have to make for Jesus? And then part two would be follow Jesus and find a, a fulfillment for life. Now, I'm just going to ask you, which of those two messages would attract the biggest crowd? I think we're, yeah, I'm feeling a little nauseated today. I don't think I'm going to be able to make that sacrifice message. Next week, though, the fullness message. Now, can I tell you something? Both of those messages are biblically sound. It's just one sounds better than the other, doesn't it? I mean, but, but you can't. You can't address this and just ignore this. Moses counted the cost it would mean for him to follow God, including, did you notice it said the anger of the king? Here's, a, by the way, a kind of heritage from his family. Remember at the beginning it says his parents hid him in spite of the, the king's edict, not fearing the king's edict. They hid him. And then you come down here and it says that that Moses, by faith, 
he counted the cost, including the anger of the king. Just like his parents, he said, I'm not going to let the king determine my destiny. And he was willing to endure the reproach. I think it's interesting. It says the reproach of Christ. Moses, way back there, uh, enduring the, uh, 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 the uh, uh, reproach of Christ about following God in a pagan country. At that time, when Moses was coming up through the ranks in Egypt, Egypt, there was no empire like Egypt. And yet Moses said, I'll follow God in a country of paganism. Um, you know, that reminds us of where we're living today. America has a Judeo-Christian root. It has a lofty heritage, we say, but we've left that heritage. And, and here's why I tell you that. Because more and more, graduates, you listen to me, more and more, the day is coming when it's going to cost you to follow Jesus in a pagan culture. Though we've had a Judeo-Christian foundation for this country, we've long left that. This is a pagan nation. And it's going to cost you. you. You just decide. So you need to decide right now, I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to follow God. And I understand there might be a price to pay. Now, God, listen, do you think in heaven, by the way, in heaven, do you think Moses is up there saying, I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I hadn't have, uh, 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 left it behind for God. You think he's saying that? Anybody in here believe that Moses is up there saying, shouldn't have done that? You think Moses is glad he did that? Do like this. You better believe Moses is glad he made the right choice. And all of us are faced with a choice at some point in time. Notice the word considered, or your translation may say esteemed. It means Moses' decision was not... Uh, um, arbitrary. It means Moses' decision was deliberate, and it was very well thought out. His faith, you see, gave him an eternal perspective. His faith gave, and it says it very clearly in this, and if you notice the lives of the men and women that we look at in this chapter, their faith always shaped a couple of things in their life. The first thing is, write this down, it's not on your outline, the first thing that faith shaped in their life was it shaped their pleasures. Do you notice that? Verse 35, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Faith will shape your pleasures. Moses willingly gave up the privileges of being ruler. He gave up the perks of being the ruler over the most powerful empire uh, in, in the world. And he, he didn't do this, you know. Uh, he didn't go, you know what? Now that I know who God is uh, or the people of God and I'm going to identify with the people of God, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to come back into Egypt and I'm kind of turn this thing for God. That's what I'll do. I'll use my position. I'll use my place. There's a time to do that. But Moses didn't say, I'm going to go back. I'm going to try to convert the kingdom. No, 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 no. He, he didn't try to turn the kingdom for God. What he did instead was he let go of the kingdom for the kingdom of God. There are, listen to me, in this life, there are some things worth giving up for God. There are some things worth giving up. And in this case, uh, in, in this case it says the fleeting pleasures. 
Now, I know it doesn't make sense to most people, especially in our world, that such, such power and influence would be sacrificed because we always, uh, in our world, we, we're always trying to gain power and influence so, so we can Christianize it or use it for God. And I think there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong, but it better be God-driven and not self-driven. In other words, I'm going to try to, to, to make myself influential and get God to bless it. It needs to be God has put me in a place and God expects me to, to pursue him in that place for his glory. Faith changes our perspective on everything, including the best that the world has to offer. One of my favorite psalms, I I put it in the top five psalms, Psalm 16. And in particular, I love verse 11. It says, you, that is God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where the real pleasure is, you see. It's in his presence. It's in the pursuit of him. At your right hand, he says, our pleasure forevermore. Moses chose the pleasures that come in the presence of Christ, in the presence of God, instead of pursuit of the pleasures. The best that this world can offer uh, uh, is, doesn't compare with what God offers us. Faith in God, faith in Christ is not about being deprived, by the way. So don't walk out of here saying, well, I guess, you know, I've got to live a deprived life. That's not, that's not even the point here either. It's about being fulfilled. John 10, 10, Jesus said this, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You know what that means? That word in the Greek, abundantly, it means full and overflowing. It's like taking a cup and filling it up, and it just keeps overflowing. That Jesus said, that's the kind of life I've come to bring you. But that life can't be found in the pleasures of the world. That life can only be found in the pleasures of our our relationship because that's what you've been created for the second thing I want you to see that your faith shapes is it shapes your treasures it shaped their pleasures and it shaped their treasures and we know that because it says it specifically right there in verse 20 he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he's looking to a reward not only did his faith think about it not only did Moses faith affect a world of pleasure in his life it also affected a world of treasure in his life now some people might say well let's let's work this out God I tell you what I'm willing to do God I'll take a little less treasure so I can have a whole I mean a little less pleasures so I can have a whole lot more treasures but Jesus never makes that deal. Jesus is never bargaining, bargaining with us on those things the point and by the way the point is again not what Moses gave up The point is what he gained. Did you notice it tells us he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt? Why? Because he was looking to an ultimate reward, a a coming reward. You know, you could honestly say Moses on some level understood what Jesus teaches us in Mark 8, 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? During his reign, King Frederick William III of Prussia found himself in trouble. His trouble was that he was, he was engaged in some wars, and those wars had been very costly. And he was trying to also build uh, his nation, and, and finances were short. And he didn't want to disappoint the people in his, his, what he was doing with the nation, but at the same time, he knew he couldn't capitulate to the enemy. That was unthinkable. And so after careful thought, careful reflection, investigation, he decided to ask the women of Prussia to do something, ladies, that would probably have been initially very hard. He asked them to take their gold and silver jewelry. 
and to bring it and turn it in and let it be melted down to help finance the wars and the progress of the nation. And in exchange for their gold and their silver, he gave them a piece of, uh, of iron, actually an iron cross. And on the back of that iron cross, it was inscribed this, I gave gold for iron, 1813. And the response was overwhelming. Even more important, the women prized that iron cross as a gift that became more precious than the gold and the silver they had previously owned. You know why it was precious to them? Because it was proof that they had sacrificed for their king. In fact, it became so unfashionable to wear any jewelry Uh, that people, that ladies just quit wearing jewelry except for the Iron Cross. And they established what came to be known as the Order of the Iron Cross. They they wore, that's the only ornament that ladies wear. And it was a badge of loyalty. It was a badge of dedication. You know, when Christians come to our king, when we come to our king, we too exchange the flourishes of life really Uh, the flourishes of our former life for a cross. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily. There are times when faith and sacrifices, you see, are partners in the kingdom of God. And what seems to be virtually worthless to the world has great value. He considered reproach of Christ greater wealth. Faith determines our perspective on life and life's priorities. But here's number four that I want to show you today, and that is I want you to notice Moses' promising motivation. What motivated him? Verse 27 tells us what was his motivation. It says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. What was his motivation? Again, he was looking way beyond just this life and this world. So let me go back for a second to the sacrifice, sacrifices above that I was talking to you about. And, and, and let's discover why people would sacrifice for God. Well, simply put, once you have seen God, once you've got a glimpse of God, serving Him and knowing Him and belonging to Him is worth everything. It's worth everything. Once you've got a glimpse of God, you may be here to say, I've never had a glimpse of God. It may be that you don't know God then. It may be that all you've been is religious all your life. Because when you get a glimpse of God, things can't stay the same. They won't stay the same. And our perspective gets changed. And Moses was motivated by something. He wasn't motivated now by how far up the the ladder he could go. He was now motivated by a new king and a new kingdom. You know, the Bible says when you and I come to Christ, that our citizenship is transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven. Has yours been transferred? Uh, has uh, Has your faith taken you from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God? Well, you say, well, I don't know. It doesn't sound very appealing to me. I want to just share this line. Try it. You'll like it. Try it. You'll like it. It works. That was Moses' motivation. He saw the unseen. I told our staff this week, we all have a finish line. 
All of us have a finish line to cross. Did you know that? You have a finish line to cross, and it's already said. It's already determined out there. The Bible says that before there was even one day in my life, all the days of my life have been written down. All the days written down. All of us have a finish line that we're going to cross one day. We're going to cross that. And I don't know when yours is. I don't know when mine is. I just know I'm responsible to cross it and to cross it the right way and to cross it well. It may be years ahead. It may be, uh, it may be very brief. I, I just don't know. But I told our staff we all have a finish line to cross, and that finish line in relation to eternity will be here before you know it. It will get here fast. I sometimes think back to my childhood. Now, some of you are still there, but I think back to my, my childhood. I'm, I'm 60, and, you know, uh, um, there are things. Do, you, do y'all do this? If you, you hear a certain song, it catapults you back. You remember what you were doing when that song was popular or what you shouldn't have been doing when that song was popular. Or do you, there, you get a smell. I, I can't smell anymore, so this doesn't happen to me anymore. But there, I used to, you know, you'd smell something, and it would take your mind back to something earlier in your life. Y'all, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Or maybe you see something on television, and it takes you back there. I was working on this message, and I was thinking about that, and and. And my childhood, I can remember things, and it's just as real almost as it was like yesterday. And I thought, so how did I get here so fast? How did I get here so fast? Now, I, I, I have no regrets. I can tell you I have no regrets. And I like where God has me, and I, I feel good, and I like the, the things that God has done in my life. And I know there are things I could have done different, and I, couldn't have, I could have done better, but I like where I am. But I'll have to tell you something now. You know what? I ask my, how did I get here so fast? I'm at the age that I used to think was ancient. Wow. That old man. I'm at the, listen, and we laugh about it, but listen, you're going to get there a lot faster than you realize. Because there's a finish line approaching, and in the scheme of eternity, this life is short. Live for God. Build a heritage of faith. Live for God. One of my favorite gifts, one of my favorite gifts is in my my front office where I do counseling and meetings. It lays on the coffee table there, and people ask me all the time when they see it, it's a hammer. What does a guy have a hammer for a decoration in his office? I have a hammer in my office. It really is for rowdy counseling. Now, I have it there as a reminder. It's my favorite gift ever. It's given to me by my daughter on Father's Day several several years ago. And if you pick that hammer up and look at it, you'll understand why. I don't know where she did this, but she it's beautifully engraved. And on it, it says, Dad, thank you for helping me build my life. Listen, you're helping people build their life. And if you're one of our graduates or you're younger than that, you say, well, that'll be neat one day. No, no, no. Now is the time. You're doing construction work right now to leave a legacy that lasts. You say, I'm so young. Well, the question still remains, what motivates you to follow God? 
See, whatever your age, the finish line is going to get here faster than you can ever imagine. Here's the last thing, and I close with this. I want you to see verse 28, Moses' Passover observation. Look at this. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, he kept the Passover. Now, I've preached out of this chapter um, many times over the years. And uh, I've preached these verses uh, a number of times over uh, the years. But it dawned on me, I've never talked about verse 28 in any messages when I've preached on this passage. Because I thought, okay, it's a Passover. By faith, he kept Passover. But when I began to prepare this message to bring to you, I began to think, that's there. Think about how God didn't put that there as an afterthought. There's a reason that he put that there. And I began to delve into it, and I began to study it, and it dawned on me the reason that is included is because God told Moses something. He said, Moses, I'm about to send my angel, and that angel is going to destroy any place that is not marked by the blood or the firstborn of any place without the blood covering. And Moses at that point had a, had a choice. He could believe the Word of God or not. Well, God, that doesn't make sense. We've never seen anything like that. We're not, you're gonna be, and I'll tell you what else it, may, it caused me to realize. Not only did Moses by faith have to believe what God said, if you don't mark them, the firstborn's going to die. He had something else he had to to believe God about. By faith, he had to believe in the power of the blood to save. In the power of the blood to save. And this message, this was the first Passover ever. We hear about Passover, but this was the first Passover. This is what started Passover. And this event, belief in the power of the blood, would, would influence the people of God for generation after generation, all the way down to us today. What is true then is true now, and that is without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness from sin. The Passover lamb brought salvation to the Israelites, and the lamb of God brought the ultimate salvation to each of us. It's a blood covering. And by faith, Moses observed it. That is, he did exactly what God told him to do. Trust in, in my word, and therefore, by faith, trust in the power of the blood. Do you know that's the only way today, thousands of years later, that's the only way that you can get into the kingdom of God? It is by the power of the blood. It is by faith. The blood is a work of grace on God's part, doing what you couldn't do for yourself, him graciously dying for your sin, and then by faith, saying, by faith, I will trust in the blood work of Jesus Christ. If you know anything about uh, science and medical history, you know the name of Louis Pasteur. Louis Pasteur is a pioneer in immunology. And he lived at a time when thousands of people were dying because of rabies. They'd get bit by a rabid animal, and it would kill them. They didn't have a vaccine, and, and it was very serious stuff. And so Louis Pasteur worked for years on a vaccine to, to, to counter rabies. And he had gotten to a place where he was ready to experiment with a vaccine, and he was going to try it on himself. And about the time he was getting ready to try it on himself, a little boy, nine years old, named Joseph Meister was bitten by a rabid animal. And Joseph Meister's mother, knowing that Pasteur had been working on a vaccine 
I asked him, begged him, would you please, please, if you're going to practice, instead of practice on yourself, practice on my son, maybe he won't die. And so Pasteur did, and he injected this little boy over 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, the boy was well. He was fine. The rabies was gone. Well, decades later, you know, after uh, 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 great notability and great accomplishments by Pasteur in science and, and immunology, and his name was n- known throughout the world, uh, he died. And on his headstone, he had three words etched. Now, this great international man of fame and science, with all his accolades and all his accomplishment, said, there are just three words I want on my tombstone. You know what they were? Joseph Meister lived. Because it changed everything. It changed everything. It saved uh, uh, Joseph Meister proved that life was valuable and could be saved. You say, what does that mean for us? Well, that was his legacy. That's what he was saying. That's his legacy. That's his heritage. 2,000 years ago, there was a cross, and on that cross, Jesus Christ died, and he shed his blood, and his blood became our vaccine so that we might live. What he did became the vaccine. It became the cure for you and I. We may never cure COVID-19. I hope we do. I'm praying that we do. But one thing we have cured, and that is the consequence of sin. Jesus Christ took care of that once and for all. You might say it this way. The epitaph of the cross, if they had something on our tombstone, would read like this. Jesus Christ died. Ray Jones lived. Jesus Christ died. Chris lived. Jesus Christ died. Chuck lived. Jesus Christ died. Monica lived. Jesus Christ died. Francis lived. Jesus Christ died. Jack and Shirley lived. And Jesus Christ, do you get it? Jesus Christ died. That's the appetite. And we lived because he died. And because of that, we have a heritage of faith. Just like Moses, a heritage of faith. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Jesus Christ died so you could live. And that's true for everybody in this room. That's true for everybody that's watching us today by live stream. Jesus Christ died so you could live. But the way you experience that life is through faith. By faith. Moses teaches us that. By faith. By faith. We observe the power of the blood. 
to change everything about us. And today, if you've never put your trust in him, if you say, I've just been religious or I've never actually trusted Christ, I want to encourage you right where you are in this building or on live stream, I want you to pray a prayer. I want you to call out in your heart uh, to the Lord Jesus. I want you to say, Jesus, thank you for doing for me what I could not do for myself. Thank you for being the vaccine, the cure for my sin. Right now, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I acknowledge that only you can save me. I receive you as my Savior. All to you I surrender. I want to follow you. In every way, every day, I want to follow you. Thank you for dying for me. I receive you. If you've called out to him this morning that way, I want to assure you of something. He has heard that prayer. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the Bible says this, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And I want to encourage you to do something. I'm going to pray for you here in a second. Then I want to encourage you to do something. And that is, I want you to take the next steps, and that is to identify yourself with Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for those viewing, for those in this place that called on you today. Father, I pray that you'll give them courage to take the next steps in their new relationship with you. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for being the cure. Thank you because you died, we live. Help us to, like Moses, say, whatever the cost, we will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.